Welcome to episode 163 of Coffee Pods and Wads. As always, this episode is sponsored by Rain Body Fuel, the ultimate fitness focused drink to support your performance. And the Hybrid Academy are also on board, offering you a discount on their website if you use the code PODS10. Uh, you can go to the hybridacademy.store to avail of that discount, or you can go to their Instagram page or that website to see for yourself why I won't shut up about how good they are. Um, today's guest is Phil Sutherland. Uh, Phil is the founder of Super Sapiens, who use continuous glucose monitoring to improve performance. Basically, if you saw those little discs on the back of uh, Sam Briggs or Emma McQuaid's arms, um, that's what it is. Uh, we talk about how he was diagnosed as a diabetic at the age of seven months old, making him the then youngest uh, diagnosed diabetic and how he defied medical opinion that he'd be blind or dead by his 20s, and instead cycled across America um, on the first all-diabetic team, and then came back the next year in the race against uh, race across America um, and won with a diabetic team. Uh, we also talk about how the system he has created at Super Sapiens will help people, who it will help, how it can help them, and his vision for improving diabetic health as well as human performance. Uh, enjoy, listen, share, and tag. Thanks a million for doing this. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, I can only assume people who like run companies are crazy busy all the time because you know I I have a public sector job so I don't really know what <laughs> I don't really know what owning a company entails or running a company but yeah I assume you're busy. Um, you have like a crazy story. So um, Fitzalan she, she sent me like a list like a. a I don't know what you call it. I guess like a press release or whatever about you. And I don't know what I expected to read, but I got a lot of surprises that the more I read into it, I was just like, this is ridiculous. So we'll get on to a little bit of that later on. But I suppose I like to uh, slowly bed guests in with uh, chit chat, first of all. Um, so given the name of the show is Coffee Pods and Wads, I suppose we start off with coffee. Um, is, is coffee something you drink a lot of? Coffee is like... When my day does not start with the right cup of coffee, it's just the day that I want to erase from uh, from memory. So, and what, what what constitutes the right cup then? So, for one, you have to have the beans, right? And um, fortunate here in Atlanta that a buddy of mine, Australian guy Chris um, McLeod, was upset with the quality of beans that we had here in Atlanta, and he moved to Atlanta because his wife works Coca Cola, and He'd done well in business, so he started his own brewery. And um, so it's a place called Brash Coffee. I use their intrepid beans typically uh, to, to kick the day off. I'm very particular. I, I've got a Eura uh, fully automatic machine. So I do one five and a half ounce coffee and then one espresso shot on top of that. And I okay. I do two of those to start the day. So okay. typically four shots gets my day going and then... Yeah, you know, espresso mid morning, another espresso in the afternoon after lunch, and you know when in Italy you add five more uh, <laughs> any time of the day. And then, so when uh, are you drinking espresso because um, for like a speed thing, or because that's how you enjoy, like say the ones in the middle of the day? I just you know it's for I think it helps with the metabolism. It's a good way to just you know kick off any post meal you know kind of sluggishness. Yeah. Really slap yourself in the face, that kind of. And then every, every now and again, you know, you need you need a kick energy, and yeah, uh, what better way than a phenomenal shot of espresso? Yeah, that's the thing, though. I suppose you're really relying on the quality there because if you get a shit shot of espresso, it's not worth yeah. it's not worth the hassle you have to go through to get it. And there, like, there's no hiding when it's just the espresso and nothing else. Like, even water kind of dulls it down a little bit. Um, so you. you Grew up in Florida, is that right? Yep, Tallahassee, Florida. And Georgia, uh, Atlanta's in Georgia, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, look at me with my knowledge. Yeah, um, and it, so are you based in uh, Georgia all the time then? Yeah, I mean, normally, like when I first moved here, it was because of the airport and one stop from anywhere in the world. Um, mm. Great, so I, for... A lot of years, I was citizen of the world more than citizen of Atlanta. Uh, but now, you know, my wife and I, we have three young boys. And so I try to be here as much as possible. What age are your kids? Uh, well, my older daughter is 17. And then the three boys we have is uh, are seven, five. And the little one will be three uh, in just a couple of weeks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a busy period then. Hence the 
the the you know the four shots start of the day because yeah 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 i was just thinking yeah that, that explains the coffee yeah um you've done quite a few podcasts before um and like different styles of shows like different uh you know different hosts different styles of interviewing and stuff um is that like is that something that you're confident doing or is it like do you get nervous before when you know like when it's not i guess the same type of interview every time no i mean it's the thing i like about podcasts is they're conversations and Mm. uh, so i'm typically getting asked you know questions about me or about my business so it's fairly uh, i don't want to say like uh, so it's just I just enjoy the conversations. Um, I've been doing public speaking for I don't know, seventeen years now. Um, so I did a you know, and when I first started that, I was really really nervous before each speech mm. and had to go into a certain mentality. But over the years, it's uh, just got to be something I really enjoy. And I look at a podcast as kind of a similar framework of you know, granted it's you are the audience, but then the audience goes much farther, and it's just a chance to share a bit of the story and hopefully you know, help the listeners go on and live a better life going forward. So I, mm. I have fun with them. Do you listen to podcasts as well? Uh, sometimes like if I'm, when I'm traveling, <clears throat> like I'll, I'll, I'll find good ones to listen here or there. I typically, you know, it's referral based. So a friend of mine will say, yeah. Hey, this was really good. You need to listen or, Hey, this was really good. So I can't say that I'm a subscriber to like, I listen to this one all the time. It's more, yeah. you know, I pick, you know, from the referrals I get from, you know, fr- friends, colleagues, advisors, that the ones I really need to listen to. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay. So the, the sheet or like the, the cheat sheet about Phil that I got <laughs> started off with probably one of the most interesting sentences I've ever seen written about a baby, uh, <laughs> which, so it said at the age of seven months old, um, you were diagnosed as diabetic. Um, and I was kind of, I suppose I was curious first off, like, so it was the youngest case on record, like globally at the time, but like, like what had happened in say those first seven months that led to a diagnosis? Because I assume you're largely on like milk at that stage, like maybe like food is like maybe starting to be introduced, but it's like mush. So it's not as if, um, you know, you were laden down with sugars and stuff for, for something to, to, to spark off an issue. I was curious, like what, what led to the diagnosis in the first place? Yeah, so you know, type type one diabetes uh, and what was used to be called juvenile diabetes back in the day <clears throat> is a it's an autoimmune disease, and it comes like, it's built upon like two genetic markers. So the I believe it's DR two and DR four, the recessive genes. So you you might have zero markers and still get diabetes. You might have both markers and not get diabetes, uh, but you know, in my case, I, I had both, and we. Like there's usually some trigger that kind of kicks off the beta cell destruction, i.e. destruction of your insulin-producing cells. So I think it was an ear infection, you know, oh, wow. just you know, a normal ear infection, but I was destined to have diabetes, and that virus was the trigger that kicked off um, the diagnosis of type 1. Um, you know, I, I'd lost, you know, I was misdiagnosed twice. Uh, yeah, doctor said, like, most seven-month-old kids, oh, he's got the flu, come back in a week, he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. He's a kid, don't don't worry, mom, he's okay. It's, it's viral, like, that's yeah. the general line, isn't it, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I lost ten, five kilograms in, you know, Jeez. call it two, three days, and my mom carried me, you know, dying in her arms in the hospital, so please fix my baby. Um, and fortunately, a nurse smelled my fruity breath, which, you know, is kind of a sign of elevated glucose, and said, let's check for diabetes. And they checked i had it they gave me insulin and yeah back to life i uh, i was that's insane like crazy so um and then you so they basically as far as medicine was concerned there wasn't an awful lot of hope for you i guess at that stage it was kind of like it's not going to end well basically uh, it's like those were the days where i mean i told my parents i'll be dead or blind by 25. um yeah, and back then there was only there was insulin and it was human insulin, uh, mm. fairly unpredictable. Um, you, know, you had to give. There was no blood glucose monitoring, so you know, my parents were squeezing urine out of my diaper onto a test strip to find out where my glucose was two hours in the past, and then take an action. Right, and mm. uh, it was grim 
prognosis. Uh, my mom went to support groups you know, for others with type one, and you know she saw kids with amputations, kids who were blind, you know, and was you know, I call it terrified of what my future might be. But uh, fortunately, when blood glucose monitoring became available, they checked. I was like a walking science experiment, and you know, early in life, they found out when I was at, like moving a lot, my insulin worked better and my numbers were better. So you know, this was a time when diabetics were told, do not compete in exercise. You know, mm. the, the risk of hypoglycemia and death on the other end. But they said, well, if exercise is, helps my numbers be better and good numbers could prevent blindness, then you know, forget the rules, like go play, son. And, and I did. And you know, I, I fundamentally credit you know, sport uh, and exercise activity is, you know, one of the re the key reason I'm here today. I mean, granted, I've always had access to insulin. I've always had access to blood glucose supplies and for the last 15 years, continuous glucose monitoring. So, you know, and I've had phenomenal physicians, but the one kind of pillar of consistency amongst my life has been activity. And you know, it's just when I'm exercising, diabetes is pretty, pretty easy for me to manage. Uh, but when I'm not, it, uh, it can present some challenges. I would you say like did you have a normal childhood then like were you, were you kind of wrapped in cotton wool up until it became obvious that sport is going to help and exercise is going to help like was it was everything like helicoptered if you know what I mean like was it was there like hovering by your parents and stuff or yeah I mean I'll give you know, my my dad split when I was six years old uh, so it was really it was just on my mom hmm. and I, I gotta give her credit in that I never knew I was different right it's like I never thought I was never told you can't do something because of diabetes. Yeah. You know, I was never special, right? It's uh, you know, but it was ingrained in me that I had to take control of this. Like if I did not, you know, follow the basic guidelines of diabetes, then I would go blind. And as a kid, I was scared shitless of going blind. Uh, so that, in conjunction with, like, I found if I had good glucose control during you know swim team, I could win. And so I was motivated to control my glucose for swimming. Swimming helped me control glucose around the clock, which kept me, you know, like I was obsessed about my hemoglobin A1C. Uh, and that's like, if you look, you think university, you have a report card every three months. Um, the hemoglobin A1C test is your diabetes management report card. And that number was like, you know, I really looked forward to going to the doctor to see how I'd improved on last time. And, um, yeah. I, my mom was always cognizant, like of what I was doing, but you know, I went to friend's house. I, it was unbeknownst to me that any time I'd spend the night at a friend's house, she would have been there the day before to you know, give them a three-page dissertation on Phil acts this way, think this, if Phil acts that way, do that, and really educate the other parents. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's. I, I never felt like the only times I felt different were that when kids hit puberty, because I was the last in high school to hit puberty. So I was short and had a squeaky voice longer than others. And I've got 11 toenails. Um, you know, so like I never wore sandals as a kid. Uh, so I had people picked plenty of things to make fun of me of. And, uh, fortunately diabetes was never one of them. Hang on. Where's the 11th toenail? It's on my second toe on my left foot. <clears throat> and so it's kind of like a hammer toe and you know, it, I, Oh yeah. Oh, that's like, I, I thought it was fine. And then I wore sandals uh, before, before yeah, people that. weren't lying about telling you it wasn't fine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the, the freak, the, the, don't touch me, I'm going to catch it. And it was like, okay, well, I, I wore shoes unless I didn't have to. Um, and But you know, my my third child, Leo, he's got the same toe on his right foot. So oh, wow. uh, the genes run strong in this family. And um, now I have someone I can relate to in, in my little boy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he's thrilled about that. Um, have you, have uh, any of your kids got diabetes then? Uh, they do not. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, if I, you know, they've got some form of the gene. Um, we've, we've had that tested. It's there. Um, so, you know, hopeful it doesn't happen. But if it does, you know, there's, yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not concerned. Like, mm. in this day and age, uh, ironically, People with type 1 diabetes in America, well-controlled diabetes, have a longer life expectancy than people without diabetes. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's because we're so hyper-focused on our metabolic health on a daily basis uh, that that's the case. And, you know, where back then, yeah, it was, you know, nothing but doom and gloom. 
for a diabetes diagnosis. Now there's plenty of heroes and plenty of inspirations, you know, for any walk of life that this disease, if well controlled, is never going to hold you back. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there that like activity was something that was kind of uh, maybe suppressed a little bit, I guess, in, in, in advice that was given was, you know, like take it easy and don't do anything too strenuous. Um, so f- closely following that advice, I guess, in 2006, you podiumed um, with an all diabetic team in the race across America, which I had to Google, um, but it's a 3000 mile cycling race and there's a time cap of like nine days. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming then if, the general advice growing up was like, you know, you know, maybe take it easy or whatever. And you kind of booked against the trend a bit uh, with swimming and other activities. Like I'm assuming that endurance style or like week long plus events would have been like, you would have been seen as a bit mad for thinking that an all but diabetic team would be a good idea to, to uh, take on the challenge. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. We were, we were thought of it a bit mad and look, I mean, I, like I, I said earlier, I had really good doctors you know, and one of my first doctor, you know, there was no science on exercise. And so he wouldn't give me any advice on what to do. He just left it to me to figure out. Uh, and that was frustrating. My next doctor, doctor, and that was Dr. Larry Deeb. He's a great friend. We worked on access to medicine projects and developing countries for years. Uh, but he was always data driven and historical data. Like if it wasn't in the papers, then he couldn't you know, talk about mm. it. Whereas my second physician, Dr. Nancy Wright, who's a cyclist, um, she was lo- taking the chance to learn from me and go, how do you do this? What do you think? And then she would pass that on to you know, her patients. Then my next doctor, Dr. Bruce Bodie, who's still my physician, <clears throat> they Phil, you're crazy. Like, you're, you want to race bike across America, all diabetic team? Like, that's how are you going to do it? And yeah, he's the one he was a really good doctor. Like I, I run a fine line of control, but one of that consequences of fine line is hypoglycemia and in the night. And, you know, I have really good A1Cs, but I suffered seizures in the night, like near death experiences uh, for a long period of time. Um, and so Bruce saw that and he saw a continuous glucose monitoring come to the table and he put me on that trial. And after 20 days of using a CGM, I'd learned more about diabetes than the previous 23 years. And I said, Bruce, like, you know, we're going to do the race across America and we're going to succeed because of this technology. I need you to get me in front of the company. And it was Abbott Diabetes Care. I said, I need to meet the leadership at Abbott Diabetes Care because one, I have to have the technology if we're going to get across the country. And two, I believe this technology will fundamentally change the world for people with diabetes. And, you know, I want to promote that. And uh, not too long after, you know, I had the first phone call and, uh, you know, back in the day when people had phone calls. And then shortly after that, I was out in Alameda, California, uh, giving the grand pitch of how I wanted to change the world for people with diabetes using the bike as a platform. And yeah, we've been partners really ever since. Yeah. Like uh, the race then, is that, so are you all, is it like a, a relay or are you all cycling like as a team continuously? It's a, it's a relay. So there's always someone on the road we had two teams of four, so you figure there'd be one guy on the road, three in the van, and then it's just kind of, you, you rotate for about eight hours. Yeah. Uh, what we did is the last hour of every shift, we'd put all four of us on the road and do a kind of a team time trial. Okay, yeah. We could fly at that period and then you know, get off the bikes, like, sprinkle some water on you, take a quick shower, um, you know, and eat some food and then go to sleep in an RV and... Yeah, at first it was tough, but you know, after the first day and a half, you could kind of get it's that movement of the RV was a beautiful thing. And then like, so when you're getting used to the continuous glucose monitoring and stuff and you're like, obviously I'm assuming the people who are taking this on have had, uh, had a long window of experience when it comes to like being active and managing their, their diabetes as well. So I'm assuming there's like prior knowledge there, but obviously it's not a normal scenario to find yourself in, to be cycling 3000 kilometers and to be doing, you know, like daily time trials, I guess. Um, it like, were there hairy moments involved in like, say you did it two years in a row. Is that right? 2006, 2007, uh, you won in 2007. Um, so, it, it like in those two years, were there any moments of like shit, like maybe we need to pull out or maybe this person needs to pull out or, or was it, do you think it was well managed because of the technology you had? Well, you know, we, the first year we got the technology 
you know, the day before the race. <clears throat> and so usually between us, like eight, eight people with diabetes sitting at the lunch table, we all ate the same thing. And it was just strange seeing one person's glucose go up at one point, another person's glucose go up at a different point, and just kind of comparing notes. And we're like, it blew our minds just how valuable this information was. <clears throat> the first, and then we started the race. Right? We had no idea where our glucose needed to be because none of us mm. ever checked during exercise before. We just check before the bike, then go out there and ride, eat a bunch, come home, check again. And those two, you use those two data points as a judge of success. Mm. No idea what was happening in the in-between. So one, we nearly died the first night. Like it's, you know, we'd all, you know, what happens after exercise, especially intense exercise is, your glycogen receptors in the muscles shut off and then any kind of blood glucose that was circulating in the bloodstream to feed the muscles for activity just goes straight in the blood and glucose will spike. And there's this period of insulin resistance that we did not know about uh, after activity. So we bolused insulin for 100 grams of carbohydrates for our recovery drink and meal, but our nutritionist only gave us 25 grams of carbohydrates. We didn't know that we were insulin resistant post-activity. And so we went to sleep thinking we're fine and we're recovering. We gave the right amount of insulin. And then the alarms on the freestyle navigator, beep, 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 beep. And it was like through that night, all, each one of us had 100 grams of carbs. Like one guy had glucose tablets, I ate Snickers bars. <laughs> None of us slept at all that first night. Um, and then I saw my good buddy, Tim Henry, our nutritionist, on the race, pouring the recovery drink for the other team. And he's like, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, that's the recovery. I said, no, 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 that's one scoop. He said, yeah, that's right. I said, so you're the reason we didn't sleep in that last night. Like, and I wanted to fight my friend at the point, but channeled that anger into the next shift on the bike. And <clears throat> it was kind of the next day. I mean, we nearly died. If it wasn't for the technology, four of us would have been dead in Arizona, full stop. Like, I, I have no... No question about that, but we didn't die. We lived to fight another day. <clears throat> and then kind of by Durango, Colorado, I remember the transition period very vividly in that we all kind of had this aha moment of like, if glucose is between 140 and 180, we feel really good. Like, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me three. And <clears throat> then we made it a focus of our time on the bike to be between 140 and 180. And we went a whole lot faster. And you know, we went back and forth with a team of professional athletes. Um, ultimately, we lost the race by three minutes. We won our division, right? But we lost the overall. And for me, a race, mm. it's not about you know, who you're competing. It's about the first of the line. Um, so it was nice to say we won, but we lost. Um, but Abbott loved it. Other p partners within Pharma came on board. And we got the technology for the next nine months leading into the second race across America. We knew where glucose needed to be. We knew how to optimize fueling to hit those targets. And we royally kicked ass the second year. Uh, we led the race from start to finish. And um, it was just, it was a thing of beauty, uh, what, what we did. And I mean, it was miserable beauty. Like, that's why I didn't do it, because it was such a truly torturous event. Like, I mean, it's the best of moments, but the worst moments. But the ability to use this technology, like, it allowed us to dominate the race and allowed subsequent team type one teams to also win, win the race. You know, and so I'm just forever grateful to CGM because it continues glucose monitoring because not only has it kept me alive and allowed me to you know, pursue my dreams, but it's allowed us to use sport systematically over a 16 year period to change the, the world and the outlook that the world has on diabetes, um, you know, forever. Um, and so it's, it would not have been possible were not for continuous glucose monitoring. Um, so it's, yeah, I'll pause. Uh, and like, do many teams do it a second year? Is it rare that someone goes back and does it again, or is that commonplace? Wait, could you clarify? Could you... Like to, to do the race, if you do the race once, is it usually a one and done, or do is it common for teams to go back and try it again a second or a third go? Uh, yeah, the, the team that we were competing with, Vale Beaver Creek, they'd won it three prior years. Okay. And so it, it was their thing. And that super cool group of mountain bikers who got on road bikes for Ram. Um, <clears throat> you know, we did it, I think, in total four, maybe five years. Um, 
And then some people, like a lot of the solo riders will come and then they won't reach a cutoff and then they'll come back and not reach a cutoff. And then, then they finally get it completed the third year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think for most, for most, it's kind of a bucket list event of, we want to do something cool, typically raise money for charity. And it's just, um, yeah, it's not a well publicized race, but it's a great community who participates in that race and, um, uh, forever in debt to the race across America organizers for, you know, letting us play their game. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends is cycling to Athens in Greece from Akil in Ireland. So it's like 6,000 kilometers, him and two of his friends, um, for charity. And I remember like similar, it's a similar thing of the 3000 miles and 6,000 kilometers. When you look at it on paper, you're like, oh, that's, geez, that's a lot. Like, <laughs> like when you really see it written down or if you look at a map or anything, it's crazy. So yeah, it's admirable, an admirable undertaking. Um, I read uh, about a cycling innovation then um, that you worked on with uh, Wahoo Fitness. Um, and I mean, I could try and explain it because obviously I definitely fully understand what it is and I understand all the nuance of it. But I suppose it makes more sense if you um, explain it so that we both know that we're both talking about the same thing. Because, yeah, essentially I don't have a clue. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have the vaguest understanding of what it was. So, so explain, explain um, that innovation to us then. Yeah, um, it's real-time visibility during exercise to your glucose levels. So <clears throat> the thing is, you know, I've been, Team Nova Nordis is it's on its ninth year now. All diabetic pro cycling team, athletes from 10 different countries, racing to educate, empower, and inspire people affected by diabetes. And when you're using sport as a platform to change lives, you know, the only way you can change more lives is by being better in sport. Right, if, if sport is the chosen platform. You know, we don't have to win every race. We don't have to win any races to inspire people. The fact that we're racing bikes professionally is the greatest source, global source of hope and inspiration for people with diabetes. But we have athletes who want to win. And you know, we just kept seeing, like, while we, continuous glucose monitoring in the jersey pocket was valuable because you could pull out and get data anytime you wanted. But there's moments in races where you're eating your stem for an hour and a half in crosswinds when it's cold and rainy. And you know, that's just, you can barely reach for food, let alone a monitor to play with. And so we were having one bad day per rider per stage race. And if you add those bad days up over the season, it's quite significant. And how, did we, how could we control for this? Um, you know, I had a conceptual patent in 2009 to bring glucose to the bike computer. But... You know, it was just too niche of a market at that time, and um, really, fundamentally, the technology didn't exist. So 2014, we partnered with one group to try and do it, and 2016 with a different group to try and do it, and they just couldn't pull it off. And I was on a bike ride with Chip Hawkins, the CEO of Wahoo Fitness, and I said, Chip, I really need this. Two other companies have tried. They failed. And Chip said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And I was like, huh? And he said, no, no, just bring me the whatever technology you need to my office on Monday and I'll get it done for you. And you know, I'd heard this before, uh, but then I got a, you know, a little taste of the magic that you know, Chip Hawkins and Wahoo have, which is doing what's never been done before. And sure enough, two months later, I saw you know, glucose on a Wahoo bolt. You know, it, just, it just said glucose. There was no number, no, no live data yet. And then another month after that, you know, there was data, but I had to sit with one of their product engineers and look at code and like we were, it worked some of the time, but not all the time. And then finally it was November of 18 where I went on my first bike ride with, you know, my glucose on the bike computer. And I really felt like I'd lost five, five kilos right away. Just the power that that knowledge gave to me. And it, it was great because I got two weeks of a science experiment. I said to my wife, like, Hey, this is new technology. I'm going to bring this to market. So I got to learn about it. And so I just kept riding and studying and learning. And, you know, then we brought it to the athletes of team of an And these guys have been racing professionally for seven years, like had continuous glucose monitoring this whole time. <clears throat> but when they got to see every data point in front of them during exercise, the learning curve just was exponentialized. Like, and the, power of control translated into power in watts on the pedals. So, yeah. and then we went on to have the most successful season we'd ever had. And you know, I, I wanted to bring this to market. You know, I've been selling hope and inspiration for a bunch of years, which is great because I give you hope, 
there's no transaction, right? There's a transaction with our sponsors who pay to you know, allow us to do this. But from the individual that I was selling this hope to, it's, it's our gift to the world. Um, but now I wanted to sell a product. And how did that look? And so I started, you know, just seeking mentors, you know, who were endurance athletes who had built manufacturing facilities, who had done startup companies. And, you know, I kept hearing the same thing of like, I don't have diabetes, but I buy that. I bonked before I'd buy that. I failed on a target that I had. I'd buy that. This, then one of those guys is, you know, Todd Furneaux, who's now my president, co-founder here at Super Sapiens. And he said, Phil, not only would I buy that, but I'd quit my job and help you, you know, kind of change the world. Like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to change the world of sport. And, you know, like Fitz, who's uh, part of the team, like just the long ideation sessions of what, how do we do, what do we do? Like, there's something here. We knew there was some magic here. Um, <clears throat> but Todd gave me this challenge of, Phil, I'd only do that if you got a deal with the sensor company. So, you know, I went uh, and approached Abbott, um, you know, who, you know, the, the world's leader and continuous glucose monitoring. They've got 3 million people on uh, the Freestyle Libre system now. Um, they're committed to people with diabetes like no other company out there. And I think, you know, part of that, commitment to people with diabetes is evident by a massive donation that they provided to my foundation, uh, Team Type 1, to provide blood glucose testing for the government of Rwanda. Abbott essentially gave, because they were doing well as a company, they were able to give a four-year, you know, 12 million test strip donation to the government in Rwanda. It fundamentally changed the world for the people in that small country, and especially the people with diabetes and their families. So I went to say thank you and presented the plaque uh, talked about Team Nova Nordisk because we're always uh, looking to innovate and have great partnerships in that world. And I showed uh, showed my bike computer and I said, I want to bring this to the non-diabetic you know, sports world. And the timing happened to be fortuitous. And I, didn't, I had a name. Uh, I didn't have any employees. Um, I didn't have a business plan. I just had a dream. And um, my counterpart there said, Phil, really interesting. Could you please develop a business plan and let's meet next month? We did. We presented it. And the following week, it was approved at the various highest of levels. And, you know, then we threw some capital in the business and, and got it going. And it's been a roller coaster. Like, uh, I'll say it's, we came to market with one expectation of what to expect out of the data. And, the data of our consumers has told a completely different story than the textbooks would would say, uh, which is great. Um, so we're having to learn a lot as we go. Uh, you know, in ten short months, I guess it's I, a year now since we've launched. Um, but a year ago, the world didn't know this was a problem. You know, a year ago, this market did not exist, and kind of the it's just been I don't know. Everyone says. The mentors in the startup world that I've have helped me along the way and helped me work through challenges um, have also helped me understand that like the startup roller coaster um, is the same for all. Like we have these massive moments of victory, and then you go down in the weeds and then back up, and it's just been this wild ride for the past couple of years. Uh, but we're seeing records broken. Yeah, you know, we had our athletes winning Olympic gold medals. Uh, we have. Um, just massive targets unlocked because of the technology we brought to market, but we're still really early and we still have a lot to learn and we have to do a much better job educating our consumers how to use the product. Um, but when we do, it's, it's not just to, you know, reach some goal that's never been achieved. It's to be the best of yourself on a daily basis. And I think it's our brand, our ethos lives within the name of super sapiens. You know, we're all, we're all, blessed with a certain set of genetics and talents and gifts, um, whatever the limit is, we just want to help you reach the best of you. Um, and I fundamentally believe, you know, understanding how everything impacts your body um, is really the keys to that door of, you know, keep the keys to unlock the door to be the best of yourself. Yeah. Jeez, you're a very good talker. <laughs> <laughs> that was like yeah that was that was uh, incredibly engaging that was really enjoyable um 
I so I actually I so I tried Super Sapiens. Um, I saw Sam Briggs, who would be yeah. my she'd be my point of contact, I guess, with with the that side of things. Um, she posted about it, and then Ty Carroll, he's like a, an athlete here in Ireland, and he you know he does uh he did he did he had a busy October basically. He did a triathlon, and he did I think he did an Ironman, and he did a few CrossFit competitions. So he he signed up just to monitor it himself and. I kind of had heard from him that it was good and interesting and engaging. And then I saw Sam posting about it. So I said, I'll try it. Um, so yeah, I've got, I've got some thoughts, um, before we get into like your side of explaining it, I guess. So I suppose the first thing is the app itself, like the, the interface of it, the look of it and everything is incredibly cool. So like it's, it's snazzy and it's cool and enjoyable to use, but it's not like, it's not gimmicky but there's a bit of pizzazz to it you know like it's enjoyable to like the loading screens are cool and you know like it, it is it is good so whoever's behind that i think deserves a lot of credit because it is very good um so when i was actually applying the so like it's a small little uh what would you call it? like a plastic disc basically with like a small needle and you use there's like a plunger type adapter i suppose that you put it into it and uh, put it onto the back of your arm um and I was kind of bracing myself for impact, like getting ready to, you know, bite down on a belt or something, putting it in. But it's actually like a non-event, like it just yeah. goes in. So I, I fucked it up the first time putting it in. Um, and, you know, the app says, oh, it'll be ready in 59 minutes or whatever. So I waited and then it was like, oh, there was an error putting in your, I was like, oh, shit. So I had to do the other arm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I had I was going around with two sensors for like five days because I couldn't get the first one off because it was stuck on so well. Um, but yeah, my wife did the second one, and she's like a lot more intelligent than I am, so she was able to do it. Um, so yeah, so it pairs. Uh, again, another thing I liked about it was that it pairs. You basically hold the phone up to like with the app open, hold it up to the the sensor, and it just pairs like effortlessly, which is like and again like. It, credit to whoever's behind that because it is very uh, easy to use um so like things like it's bizarre like you mentioned there that when you, when you were cycling and you were all eating lunch and looking at the app and you're seeing the like it essentially comes up as i guess like a waveform where there's like a graph um and it's it is insane when you eat something and then you look at it and you think really like that had that effect on my body. Like it is crazy. Cause I say for me, um, like potatoes were a weird one for me where I'd eat like, you know, rice or pasta, potatoes, like oats, wraps, like stuff like that would be, they'd be my, my normal carb sources. And if you listed out those things, like what would you expect and ask me what I expected to have a major spike from potatoes would not, register at all as be, i'd be like they they're not going to do anything like there there's nothing there every time i ate potatoes like massive spike yeah. and then the rest of the stuff i was always saying in between this like the, the the blue line or the blue the blue block i guess um and then i remember messaging uh tig because i knew he had had it and i was like sending him screenshots being like what does this mean <laughs> i'd say i really pissed him off but i was like you know what what does it mean here um so he was like oh you you, you don't want to go below like he was giving me numbers to stay above basically and stay below. And I was like, well, what does it mean? He said, you don't want to go below 50. And I was like, okay, what happens if you do go below 50? Cause I went below 50 like five times last night. And I was like, there's, you know, what do I do? Do I set an alarm or wake up in the middle of the night? And he's like, no, no, but that's actually fine because he came out of it again. So your body is obviously able to control it, yeah. which personally was a relief to me. So my dad is type two, uh, diabetes, which was like diagnosed, like fair, you know, late on in his life i'd say he had it for longer than he realized he had it for so then i've obviously i would panic then thinking like oh shit like i also ate like an asshole for a prolonged period of my life i wonder am i have i got it or whatever so seeing that come back up was worth getting the app in itself and getting the device because it was like oh brilliant i don't have it so you know i can just keep trying to be healthier than i was i guess um so i suppose first off with the app could you explain, so explain to me like I'm a five-year-old, <laughs> um, what the app uh, measures and how, or what the device and the app measure and how it measures it. Yeah, so you got the sensor on your arm, which you know, the needle inserts and then retracts and it just leaves that little microfilament inside. And that filament is sitting in your interstitial fluid. So I guess I'm using two big words for a five-year-old, but. Yep. <laughs> it's reading the blood from this thing called your interstitial fluid, which is 
where the glucose resides. So the, so the needle goes in and comes back out? Yep. There's no needle in your arm once even. Oh, I thought it stayed in. Okay, right. Okay. And uh, and then it sends a signal to the, to the app every minute about what your glucose is. So okay. like you said, you ate a meal and then you saw what happened. That can just help you contextualize this meal leads to this spike. So, you know, I, I've got like... What I would say challenge is, you know, like the Guinness in Ireland, you know, it's, I don't know which side of Smithics or Guinness uh, is your preference. Guinness is mine. Uh, so please, no, no offense to those who like the other, because I tried all when I was in Ireland. Um, but have, have a meal you know, with, without exercising. And then the next day, you know, do a bit of exercise first, whether maybe it's CrossFit where you go do a workout and then have that same meal and see what spike happens. So you can kind of just start to learn. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to use this as a tool to help people validate activity, right? Because when you're exercising, your glucose is not going to spike as high. When you're exercising on a regular basis, you're going to stay in the blue more. And that's just, you know, it's metabolic health, right? It's, I've been trying to stay in the blue my entire life. I haven't because diabetics are all over the place. Mm. But by doing so, I'm still here. And by doing so, you can still be here and still be here longer. Um, so just really helping inform you about what everything does to your body, uh, so that you can make just decisions that are based on you, right? Cause some people might think, oh, this salad is healthy, but if that salad causes your glucose to sp spike way up and then crash way down, then maybe you need to try a different salad. But until you have the data, you're just flying blind. And so it's kind of, it's exciting to help the world open its eyes to, what everything does to your body. And <clears throat> I don't want to create a boring society, right? I, I don't want to say like, you can't eat this or you can't do that. No, no, no. It's, if you want to go have a, a burger and fries and <clears throat> Coca-Cola, for example, uh, you know, how much exercise do you need to do to not have that give you a massive spike afterwards? How do you earn the pleasures in life through activity? Yeah. And then, so like when it does spike then, is that, is that like a, what would you call it? Like an inflammatory response then? Is that like, so once the, once the graph goes up, it's a negative reaction basically, or a, a reaction you want to avoid, I guess. Yeah. So when, when the glucose goes above 140, it causes a, an insulin response, which yes, does lead to additional inflammation. Um, and so it'll, your body will bring you back down, you know, some meals quicker than others. Uh, one thing that we see a lot of people doing now, uh, I think one of the biggest learnings is if you eat a high carbohydrate meal, go, go on a 20 minute walk afterwards. Like you can mitigate the spike like so much by just going on a walk right after you finished a meal. It's, it's a phenomenal thing for health. And frankly, I didn't know that until I started seeing the data of our consumers. It's like I'm, I'm becoming a healthier person now because of the lessons I'm learning from people without diabetes. Um, and then you know, when you look at sport and activity, that inflammation inhibits recovery if you go above 140 and then come down. The other side is, you know, you could say, well, I'm just not going to eat anything, right? And people, if you take that extreme approach, if glucose goes below 70, the glycogen receptors in your muscles, i.e. the keys for recovery, also shut off. And so people, like, you know, a lot of pro cyclists used to starve themselves because they're trying to get skinny to do it, but they're, they're killing themselves from a recovery standpoint and leading mm. to chronic fatigue and things like that. So we just want to help you stay in the right zone to be the best of yourself, whether it's priming for exercise, performing during exercise, or to stay in the blue after, which is, you know, we got a lot of research to do to see if that's a longevity play, uh, but it very well might be. Yeah. And then so you can also um, add in activity then like at post post fact, I guess you can, you can go back and retroactively say, I did, we'll say CrossFit for an hour from this time to this time. And it'll plot your, your glucose during, during the exercise and see how your body responded. What, like, so what are, we'll say we're, we're looking at your response to different food and your response to exercise and then food or food and then exercise. And, you know, like kind of cancel each other out, I guess. What are the other potential learning points, say the average lay person would get if they used it over a prolonged period of time, do you think? Yes. Yeah, so one, one thing is most, most of our consumers are eating more during exercise, right? It's, 
Like I, I've heard 50% more to four times as much food during exercise than people used to eat because <clears throat> they're able to see like the non-diabetic body actually 140 to 180 is a really good zone for performance. You know, those things we learned back in 2006 at the Race Across America, we thought just apply to people with diabetes. Actually, that applies to the whole population. So figuring out what number is best for you for feeling, and then you can reverse engineer what foods do you need to put in your body to, to stay at that range. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, you know, like exercise, you know, we've got this revolutionary glucose score, uh, which takes a bunch of different factors and algorithms <clears throat> and gives you a score of how well fueled you were during activity and really giving trying to give guidance of, okay, you did activity, didn't feel so good. Your score is 56. You know, how do you feel a little bit better? and then get a score of 66, and then how do you feel? And then 76, and how do you feel? Um, and so we've got integrations with Garmin, with Strava, with Training Peaks, so that as you put your exercise data in those outlets, we then pull the data in automatically, kind of make it less burdensome to, to learn. Uh, mm. We will, in time, do sleep, uh, in time, do nutrition. <clears throat> so in, in right now, you have to, it's a few too many steps to log food on a regular basis. But if you want to do kind of a focused experiment, it's great. Just add a, add a food event in your meal and then, or in your graph and then see what happens. Um, so I, this data, I don't know. It's, <clears throat> I probably speak, I've, I've been staring at glucose numbers, you know, obsessed about them my entire life. So for me, you know, I know if I eat ice cream, how much insulin and when I need to eat it, give it food <laughs> I've got a formula for any meal that you put in front of me for what my glucose is, how much insulin to give, when I need to give the second dose of insulin, sometimes the third dose of insulin. It's just, it's there, but I'm, I'm so kind of ingrained and in staring at these numbers that I, I apologize if I've been a little too complex for when simplicity may have been, been better. No, no, it's fine. Um, do you, do you, do you see then like, so you mentioned nutrition and you mentioned, uh, sleep. Is that like, are you talking about integrating, uh, other apps or other companies that are already in existence? Or are you talking about uh, having new arms or new branches of super sapiens like self-contained? Uh, we, we want to partner with others. Like, so, you know, like Strava, Whoops, Aura's, uh, Training Peaks, Zwift, you know, the, the Wahoo Garmin, the whole nine yards. It's, you know, if people are spending money to get access to that data to help themselves or they're tracking their exercise data, it's because they care, because they want to be better. Mm -hmm. And so we want to add value to the entire sporting ecosystem with arguably one of the most important data metrics that's available today. And do you, like, do you foresee, because um, I know I spoke to someone recently who saw, they saw the uh, sensor I had and they said, they asked about it. And I, we were kind of chatting about what it is and he opined that you're at a loss now if you don't have it. So if you're, if you're in the Ironman triathlon, like any kind of endurance, especially that you're, you're all, you're starting a step backwards behind it, behind people who do have it. Is, is that something that you hope becomes like a general consensus that you hope this becomes like a uh, I guess a tool to help people, but also a tool that if you don't have it in your arsenal, you're at a small disadvantage maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact. If one person knows their glucose and has the exact same threshold or physical capabilities as the other person who doesn't know, like I can see when I'm riding with people now, I can see when their glucose is dropping. Like I, cause I've ridden now with so many people without diabetes using sensors and I see when they're strong, I see their glucose 140, 160. And then I see the changes in movement, like in the changes in breathing, the, the sounds that they make. And I'm like, so what, what are you now? And, oh, I'm 110 with an arrow going down. It's like, eat some gel because I'm about to go full gas and you better <laughs> have fuel if you want to hang on. Um, so this is, glucose is the key to unlocking your power. And if you're flying blind, then you're, you will not reach your full potential. Uh, in, in sport. And frankly, over time, I think we'll see in life as well. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like it is fascinating. I think if nothing else, uh, 
thanks for telling me I don't have diabetes by <laughs> giving me access to, to the app. I think that was like, just for peace of mind, that was great um, for it, me because. No, it's my, my pleasure to do it. But the, I think the, the challenge is then, you know, to take the data and, you know, and use it going forward so that you don't, yeah. you don't get diabetes. Because if you, yeah. if type two is in your family, you know, like, like my genetics and potential for my kids, it's the genetics are there in your family, but knowledge is power. And the less you spike your glucose, the the longer you're going to go without, you know, type two diabetes. So take, take the data and run with it to, you know, not just be the best of yourself, but then perhaps it's to help motivate your father to, Hey dad, I, you know, I started exercising and my glucose went down. Like the data is so like my, my wife, she's a doctor, right? Much smarter than me. And uh, so I think we have at least one thing in common and we just have the coffee. So that's, that makes two. But for years I've been saying, honey, I need that ride, you know, for, for my health. And it just fell on deaf ears. Then I got her on this, the super sapiens ecosystem under the trial. And I said, one week, no exercise. And her average glucose was 105 milligrams per deciliter. And I said, okay, now this next week you exercise five times. You know, it's not long. It's like a three, a 5k run, 30 minutes on the Peloton, but after a week where she did five days of exercise, same diet week to week, her average glucose was 95 milligrams per deciliter. And she said, huh, it's much easier to control glucose when you're exercising. I said, yeah. I, she goes, you really do need to ride your bike for health. I said, yeah. And from that point forward, once she had the data, you know, quantified for herself, when I say I need to go ride for an hour, she says, go. Because she knows that exercise is the key for life for me. And she also is now exercising five days a week herself because she knows it's the key for life for her. Um, so it's... It, you, you wouldn't find too many people that would start a medical trial in a company to be able to say, I told you so to their wife. It's, you know, one of, one of the perks of this roller coaster ride we've been doing the last couple of years. Yeah, freedom to go cycle. You can, you can, you've started a company to allow you to say "I told you so" and to go cycle whenever you want. It's genius, really. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's I, I do feel lucky that I every ride I do is business development because I'm either <laughs> learning more uh, or speaking with people in the field, and uh, I get to ride. Uh, look, I'm I've had four kids, um, a, a full full startup job, but I I still make it a point to exercise ten hours a week, like. I, I have, if I don't do that, my physical health goes down. If I don't do that, my mental health suffers. Um, so I just, I know I've got the data. I've, I got to exercise. And uh, I hope if nothing else from your listeners today, like I know you've got an active group, a group that drinks good coffee. So I hope that um, some espresso fueled activity comes in the near future for your, for your listeners. And look, let's not all of us are going to be, uh, you know, winning the Tour de France or, the Mill Cross, which was my first European race, actually. Uh, but we can all be the best of ourselves on a daily basis. And you know, we at Super Sapiens would be honored to play a role in that journey. Yeah. Um, well, look, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate taking the time out. And I think if, if nothing else, it's, it's um, improved my understanding of where the, where the company came from. And I think wherever it's headed uh, with someone as as passionate as you are about it i think it's it's headed for for lofty heights um so yeah best of luck with everything and, and yeah thanks for coming on thanks so much Peter. really enjoyed it